Good morning. My name is Pastor Alan Huang, and welcome to Chinese Gospel Church on June 27th, 2020. And welcome and thank you so much for listening to the sermon and worshiping with us this morning. And especially if this is your first time, we welcome you uh, to our service and thank you so much for listening to our preaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace and compassion upon us as a people, Lord. And even though we sin constantly and often do not do what is right, Lord, you love us anyways and you continue to uh, indwell your spirit in us, Lord, to help us grow and to be more like you. Lord, we thank you so much for the church, Lord, you have given to us as a gift, Lord, that blesses us mightily, Lord. Um, and we thank you for the leaders that lead it. Uh, Lord, we just pray for them, that you continue to strengthen them and build them up and to bless their time and their energy and their families as they seek to lead your church and to shepherd your church in the Lord. I also pray, Lord, for our desire, Lord, to bring up new leaders um, in the church, Lord, that you would bring about and bring about people, Lord, who have a passion for leadership, of a passion to see your people led and grown, Lord. Bring us such people as these. Lord, we also pray for the missionaries that our church supports, Lord, and the missionaries of the world, Lord, who go out and do the work of the gospel, Lord, who share the gospel in different places, Lord. And we don't know all of their specific needs, but Lord, we pray, Lord, that you may be with them. And there have been a number of different families who have been, whose people groups have been hit hard um, uh, by the coronavirus, Lord, um, like the Champlains, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you are with those families, that you strengthen them, Lord, that you prepare them during this time and that you watch over them. Lord, we also pray for our world um, and the different things that we've experienced, Lord, not just in the protest over racism, um, but also in the, the, some of the anarchy and the things that we've seen and the, and, and, and the destruction and violence we've seen as well, Lord. We pray for all of these things. <coughs> Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would not be callous to what we have seen, Lord. But, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would break our hearts over the things that are truly unjust, Lord that truly break your heart. Lord, search our own hearts, Lord, to see if there's any racial sin in us against anyone of any ethnicity, Lord. Lord, also search us, Lord, to see, Lord, if we have properly loved those that you've put in governing authorities over us, let us pray for them and those who continue to labor for justice on our behalf. Lord, we also pray, Lord, that you would help us to test our beliefs and assertions, Lord. Lord, that you would help us to act on what we have seen, but Lord, not in the, in the way the world wants, but to act in the way that your word tells us to act and to prescribe. And as the Holy Spirit works in us, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to act in the ways, in these ways. And keep us united as one church, as one people, that you have made us, Lord. Even during these times where there are tensions among us, Lord, because of the things that we have heard and seen, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would keep your church whole. Continue to remind us, Lord, that you have made all these people as one people because of Christ and the blood that he has shed on the cross.
and that we are people not because of anything other, uh, anything else except that you have died for us, Lord, and you have made us a people. Lastly, Lord, I also pray for the word that we preach today, Lord, and um, Lord, I have many frailties and weaknesses, as you know, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that it's not my word that comes out, Lord, but Lord, that it's truly your word that goes out in power. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this word may penetrate deeply into the hearts of our people, Lord. And Lord, that you are glorified above all else, Lord. Let let me or anyone else who is um, in the spotlight fade away. And Lord, take the spotlight. Be the thing that we focus our eyes on today. Lord, that we keep our eyes on throughout the week, Lord. And bless us as a people, Lord. Bless us in our obedience. Bless us in the hope that we have. And work in us deeply, Lord, to sanctify us in your word. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Your passage this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And this is the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment, the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As many of you know, I have a new baby girl and she is just over two months now. And every time I look at her, I'm amazed. God has made me a steward over this human soul that has been made with my genes. And she's made in God's image. When I hold her and when I talk to her, when I look at her, there's this calming effect that comes over me. This joy that I can't describe to anybody else who's never experienced it. And in fact, for the preparation of the sermon this week, I spent many times that where I just walk out of the room um, riddled with questions about this passage and I would hold her and cuddle with her and talk to her and see her smile and giggle and, some, and, and, and just be overjoyed and those things would just fade away. It's been a great experience being a dad and I've learned many things and been sanctified in many different ways this week. But not just that I've had these great experiences, I've also had a lot of questions. Uh, many of you know this about me already, that I'm a classic overthinker. And the months before we had Constance, I started to ask myself about what is this father-daughter relationship really going to look like? And as I started to think more about it, it really broke down into two major categories of questions that I was thinking about. Firstly, I have this gift from God in Constance. What am I to do with her now? And the second type of question kind of lined in, what is her responsibilities? What are her responsibilities to our family, to me? And what role do I have in helping her to achieve it? I think different people in our world today have different answers to these questions. And for ourselves, maybe even though we may be unaware sometimes, many of our personal experiences contribute to the way that we answer these questions. For example, our first experience with families are our own families, our own parents, 
mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, maybe grandparents who live with us. And they really are the first things that really inform us about what family is like and how it should function. And as you continue to grow up, these things will continue to um, change the way you think about family, the, the friends that you have as you grow up, the families that they have, might also tell you something about family dynamic and inform us about how family should look like. We come to conclusions from our, about our families from reading books, from talking to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. We take classes on the topic. We come to this topic of parenthood really as a question, uh, really as through the way that we have seen experiences, how, through the experiences that we've had and some of the presuppositions that we've come with. And even as we become Christian mothers and fathers, these are many ways in which we have been influenced into what our family should look like. Now, gaining experience or information and understanding this way is helpful and enlightening in, in many uh, small ways when we start to talk about what is our family supposed to look like in, in more specific details. But which one of these is actually definitive or provides us with a definitive answer of how our household should look like? This section of scripture deals with how we should understand the relationships in our own household. The first we dealt with in part last week when Pastor Kevin talked about wives and husbands. And the second of these relationships we'll be talking about today between children and parents. And here the Apostle Paul will say this to us today, that God is pleased and we are blessed when we each fulfill our part in the family as God prescribes. Let me say that one more time. That God is pleased and we are blessed when we each fulfill our part in the family as God prescribes. Now Paul begins the prescription for children in verse 1. He says this, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now I think I can hear the collective groans of all the children in CGC today. You're probably all rolling your eyes, and in the most, and, and maybe you're saying this outwardly or maybe internally, but it probably in the most sarcastic way you can, really now, like I didn't know that already. And you're right. Paul is not trying to move the needle on what you are to do, saying that you should obey your parents. But where Paul is very insightful is why exactly you should obey. And the answer he gives this is because of the Lord. When you look at the passages, a passage here about parents, it says parents to the Lord. Many people think that um, really that the only people that children should obey are believing parents. And that's really the point that Paul is trying to get across here, right? But no, that's not what Paul's trying to convey at all. The closest, what the, the original language is trying to get across here, and what Paul's really trying to say is that we are to obey in the Lord your parents, or obey in the Lord our parents. The Paul's saying that you should obey your parents because of Jesus, and that obedience to your parents is obedience to the Lord. 
Conversely, however, if you choose not to obey your parents, you are not obeying the Lord. Now, this obedience to your parents is a choice. You'll find many people today in our own society, in our own culture, influencers, who assume that if you're young, you're going to rebel. In fact, you must rebel, or that really you're not growing as a person. And I think as Christians and as people who are sympathetic, we definitely can understand why children sometimes would have conflicts with themselves or conflicts with the world and even conflicts with their parents. Kids are learning for the first time about this world from their own perspective. They're trying to make sense of what they see around them, what they hear, and what, what is happening. On top of that, they go through a number of different pressures that, that compound with these issues. They have pressure from school. They have pressure from friends. And let's not forget all of the different things that are wrapped up with growing up. And it's easy to slide in anger, I think. It's easy to be irritated by, by, the, by sometimes what we may perceive as the overbearing nature of our parents. And you may just want to rebel that they don't understand you or they don't know what you've been going through. I think that this is a, a truly tricky part of your life. But I want you to know that this is not you're not alone in having to deal with this. Everybody will have to have dealt with this stage in their life, and even your parents have dealt with these issues of growing up and trying to make sense of the world here. Now granted, what you're probably going through is much more complex, but there are similarities that we have all faced these issues, and so we can definitely sympathize. But I also want to say this. What you're going through is one thing. How you react is another. And the, and the reason is because of this. You're reacting in rebellion and not in obedience to your parents is a choice. And you have chosen to not obey God by not obeying your parents. Maybe I can help us to understand this better by talking about the how the original audience when this section was read might have been understood by the people listening. When Paul first writes, children obey your parents, he wasn't speaking to parents to tell the parents to tell their kids, oh, you need to tell your kids to obey. I think the original people who are listening when the letter was first read to the church were probably children themselves who were in the congregation who heard children who Paul's that you're talking to, obey your parents in the Lord. And the reason why he speaks to children here is because they and you are old enough to be moral agents. And what I mean by that is you're old enough to make moral decisions. People often say that children's choices don't matter. Oh, but they do, for Christians for sure. Your choices could be good or bad, and even though you aren't an adult yet, your choices mean something to God. They mean something to your Christian life. You're, even though it's young, it's real. 
And also your choices have impacts that just impact the people around you and the world around you. For many of you who are young Christians or teens, this is the first moral decision you will make in your life. And it's not a foregone conclusion that you must rebel, that you and your parents must be in an adversarial relationship where it's your parents versus you. It is a choice. Like many of the choices that you're going to make in your life, you either choose to follow God or you choose to follow after the world. However, this is the first stone you will lay for the rest of your spiritual life. Now you might be saying, okay, what, what are some of the examples that I can see of people doing this? It's so hard. Look no further than Christ himself. Jesus Christ, when he was a child, submitted to his parents. And Luke tells us this. Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, goes out of his way to tell us that Jesus submitted to his parents. And imagine God incarnate, the one who is so powerful, majestic, is submitting to lowly humans. And the reason is Christ is demonstrating righteousness to us. He's demonstrating how we should also be. And therefore, as Christ submitted to his parents, you too should submit to yours, as he has demonstrated for us this is the right way to live and the right way to be. Now, the second half of this verse gives us the reason why we should obey. And the reason why we should obey our parents is because in God's eyes, this is right, this is righteousness. And as Christians, this should be an important aspect of why we obey. God thinking, God thinks that this is right, whether we are old or young, is a good thing to do right in God's eyes. Because when we do right in God's eyes, he is pleased. Colossians is a parallel book to the book of Ephesians, very likely probably written probably at the same time, and deal with many of the same issues. And on the topic of children and obedience, Paul writes in, to, Col to Colossae um, in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I want you to know that it brings joy to your Father in heaven when you obey your parents. And not only is God pleased, he blesses your obedience, as Paul writes in the next verse. Paul says this in chapter verses 2 and verse 3, Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. The Apostle Paul here quotes the fifth commandment to obey, uh, uh, to, to really to honor your parents, and really it follows much of the writing that we see in Exodus chapter 20, Verse 12, and it shows the rightness of the com this command as when Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments. And this is the first that comes with a promise. Now, there are a few do's and don'ts when it comes to honoring your parents, and so we can't list them all here. But in many ways, the relationship or the way that we're to honor our parents parallels that to the way in which we're to honor the Lord. Now, we are to honor the Lord in two ways, right? Specifically in the way that we act, but also in our attitudes. And I think it's similar with our parents. We should honor them in the way that we act towards them, but also the attitudes that we have to obeying them as well.
Now, of course, if your parents are telling you to disobey God or to do something that is unbiblical or to that contradicts Scripture, then we should rather obey God than men, as Acts 5.29 tells us. Included in this is as well the wickedness. If our parents are uh, or are, uh, who are doing, practicing wickedness, we're called not to, to not imitate those behaviors, as Ezekiel 20 tells us. But to the best of our ability, we should listen to our parents' instruction. We should listen and heed the things that they have against us. We should show honor in the way that we listen, the way that we turn our rebukes into action, and we should be a demonstration of faith to our parents in the way that we honor them, respect them, and obey them. And I want to remind you, you do this not because of anything extraordinary in your parents, but you do this because you love Christ and you want to please him. And if you're ever unsure of how to obey or when to obey, or what it looks like, talk to one of the counselors that the church has put over you and they'll steer you in the right direction. Now, living in obedience to God's commandments comes with a promise. And the promise says that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. God loves and blesses our action. We follow his instruction. And he does so in the same way when, when the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they obey, God blesses them and he is pleased with them. And here Paul takes this fifth commandment and the promise that comes with it and applies it to us in the new covenant. And this is a promise that we will have a full life. Now, this promise is not true in every circumstance. Um, in Jesus Christ himself, even though he was the perfect, perfectly submissive to his parents, he definitely did not live a full life. However, just because there are some exceptions to the rule, this does not gate God's general promise and this blessing. That if you obey and honor your parents, he blesses us with abundant life. I also want to say this, young Christians, there are many influencers in the world today that will tell you that those who obey their parents are fools. And that you will never become your own person or find your own fulfillment unless you seek your own way. Or rebel. I think Jesus here would say what he says in Matthew 16, 26, where he says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? And that's exactly what's at stake here. Your soul. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to, uh, 1 to 5 writes, But understand this, at the last days there will come a time, uh, there, there will come times of difficulty. For there will be people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and proud. And there's a long list. And within that list itself, Jesus will mention those people who, dis, who are disobedient to their parents. And with such people, Paul tells us in Timothy to avoid such people. Furthermore, in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, Paul begins to talk about these debased people who, uh, who are evil. And one of the traits that he among, uh, mentions among them, one of the characteristics which he talks about them, are those who are disobedient to their parents. And so God's eyes, disobeying your parents, is an act of rebellion. It's an act of, that evil people do, people who don't know God. 
And so you should live, if you're a Christian, to obey your parents. I also want to say that obeying your parents doesn't show or say that you're a weak person or a person who doesn't understand themselves. It shows a person who fully understands their identity in Christ and that true life and true living is not found in what the world tells us how we need to live, but is found in how Christ tells us that we need to live and as it tells us how God tells us how we should live. And here specifically, God tells us we are to live in obedience to our parents. Now, now that Paul has kind of talked about the role of children in the family, Paul now moves to fathers. Now, you might be wondering why he talks about here fathers alone and not fathers and mothers. And I think it's likely because fathers are the heads of the household in a Christian, in a Christian family. And therefore, they're the ones who primarily are called to account for the stewardship of their children. Now, for sure, many of the things that will be said here apply to both mothers and fathers, and we'll be talking about that as well. But remember, fathers that the day of judgment, we, we all will be held to account about what we've done and how we've raised our children up in the Lord. And here are the specific instructions that Paul gives to fathers and maybe to parents in general about how we are to raise our children. Fathers, in verse 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul is a Jewish Christian and knew that, and, 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 and kind of had seen the families of both societies, of both Jewish families and of Hellenistic Roman families. And in both families, it's father-centric. But one of the major things that he must have seen in the culture, maybe one of the things that bothered him a little bit, was that not only were fathers seen as kingly figures and the children as subjects, but the children could be dealt with severely and could possibly even die if they disobeyed their parents. The severity of fathers in the first century is quite well documented and well known, and it, the way it took, for, took forms of both being physical and verbal in nature, in the way that fathers dealt with their children. In the Roman world, in fact, as one commentator has said, that the father had more power over his son than a master over his slaves. Now, I don't want to say that Jewish families and Roman families didn't love their children. They did fiercely but they were extreme in the way that they handled their children now you could imagine what kind of impact this type of behavior could have towards the children and that's why paul here writes that writes something that goes against the, the the cultural norms of the society he says do not provoke your children to anger As you think of our roles as parents, we're to bring them up in the Lord. But if we, if you think about like what the original people were doing, they might have been speaking to their kids um, and talking to them um, and demeaning them, debasing them, uh, really irritating them, nagging them, demeaning them as people. And this really could have caused a lot of anger in the children. And this wasn't good for their souls or good for their faith. 
Now, as we think about it for ourselves, if we, we as parents bring our own children to anger in the way that we speak or in the severity of the punishment that we've done towards them, are we not working against them in their faith, in our witness to them, even if they're non-believers? Paul tells Christians in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But I want you to think about this for a second. If the way that we correct or discipline our children is over the top and it causes them to anger, aren't we the ones who are stoking the flames of them being angry? And while they're trying to be putting away anger, as Paul tells them, we're actually making them more angry. Aren't we, be, aren't we the ones who are the stumbling blocks in this situation? I thought about this a great, a great deal because I too sometimes can be taken over by things that I'm frustrated with or that I'm upset with. And I can say things that are insensitive and cause people anger. Because oftentimes I don't care if people are angry in those situations. I want people to know that I'm upset. And this is absolutely wrong. And these are, this is absolutely the way that we should not be dealing with our, our children. But I don't know the exact lines of your family or mine. Sometimes children sometimes just get upset because they don't like discipline. Or maybe they just don't like not getting their way. And maybe other times it could very well be that we've overstepped the line. But I think what's important here is that we need to think about and be weary of how we treat our children, not just in the day-to-day, -day, but in the way in which we're disciplining them and talking to them. If our children are not believers, then we need to be examples to them about what Christians are and to witness to them the gospel and using our lives as part of that witness. But if they are Christians, then we need to teach them these things. And remember, they're, they're going through many difficulties as well. They're learning to be Christians as young people, and they already have a host of issues to deal with in the world and the sin that they have to fight in their own lives. And to add the extra pressure of demeaning them or over-disciplining them, that could be a true detriment to their faith. They could be discouraged in their faith, and it could be harmful to them as people. Now, God has made you and me responsible for these young people. And our goal should be to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Fellow parents, we have this glorious task that God has given us. He has called us to nurture our children and to educate them and train them to what it means to be Christians. And that everything we should do should have this goal in mind. Whether we're planning for their future, or disciplining them, or teaching them about things that uh, things that matter, sharing with them things that are important and things that aren't important, this too is pleasing to the Lord and is right when we do it to teach them and by by doing all these things and raising them up in the Lord and and, and teaching them and instructing them in things of the Lord. And we shouldn't have two sets of lists. The things that we tell people at the church are the things that we really value for our children. Children oftentimes can pick on these on these discrepancies 
And it is one of the reasons why I think many children never make a profession of faith because for their parents and the way that they've modeled it to them, the things that they say at church and the life that they live is one day a week. And the other six days are dedicated to what's really important. So here we must ask ourselves the hard questions as parents. What is the goal of my parenting? Or maybe another way to put it, if I was to ask my kids, what is the most important thing in my family, to our family, what would it be? I also want to add here that we, you and I, will never be able to do this apart from the Holy Spirit guiding us as parents. The Holy Spirit is what guides our families and guides our obedience, both for children and for for fathers and mothers. We can't teach or instruct them without the Holy Spirit guiding us, ourselves, and helping us to lead these lives. Children, you can't obey unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we should turn to the Holy Spirit for help in these things. But we should be very thoughtful about what exactly our goals as parents actually are. I have a number of non-Christian friends, and it's interesting to see the goals that they have for their parents. Most parents who aren't Christians really don't have goals or don't have end goals. And the ones that they do have are often like, I want to get my kids through school. I want to get, make sure my kids get a good job. I want to make sure that my kid has these skills that are crucial to life. But these are really means and not goals. The acquiring of knowledge from school, experience from work, or skills for the purpose of life, these in itself are not bad things, um, and especially the temporary, um, uh, trying to gain them, is, uh, trying to gain them for our children and, and temporarily is not a bad thing. But it is wrong if we try to make these temporary goals the things that our children's lives revolve around. Because this leads our children into idolatry because God should be what our children revolve around. I love my conversations with Stephen Tom because he always brings it back to what is the most important when it comes to being a father. I talked to Stephen Tom about a whole bunch of different things, about math and about education, um, about some of the, the plans he has about raising his children. But he always reminds me that it doesn't matter if my kids aren't smart enough or they don't get into the best schools. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. Or have the best skills or the top of their class or the best in their field. If they have a real genuine faith, that's what really matters. And here's my conclusion today. I started by stating what I think Paul's main message to us was today, and that is that God is pleased and we are blessed when we fulfill our part in the family as God prescribes. So then we need to ask, as children, as mothers, as fathers, Are we fulfilling our part in our families as God has prescribed? Children, are you obeying your parents in the Lord? Mothers and fathers, are you raising your children in the instruction, the admonition of the Lord? 
And the ultimate question, is God pleased with the way that we have dealt with our familial duties? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing of family and the hope that we have in the gospel, Lord. Lord, we have um, heard much today about family and about our responsibility as parents, Lord, and we pray, and we pray deeply, Lord, that you would guide us in the understanding of what it means to be children of parents in the Lord and parents to children in the Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would rack our hearts and make our hearts burdened with this idea that our goals are aligned, that we want to be a people of God. Align all of us with the same goal. Align all our hearts to, to raise our children up in the Lord and to be fathers to children in the Lord. Lord, thank you for our church, Lord, who has a heart for these things. Thank you for our church who reads our scriptures, Lord, and, and look, takes the word seriously, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we have preached this sermon today, Lord, that, that we all recognize, Lord, that it's not my words that were spoken, Lord, that it's not me, it's not by my authority, but, Lord, that these are your very words. These are words that you've spoken to us. And we pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that I would take them seriously. I pray, Lord, that we as a church would take them seriously. Our benediction today comes from Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the Lord or the God of peace who brought again brought who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.